Welcome to Meekum Presents On The Move, brought to you by State Farm. It's the show geared toward keeping you up to speed with the latest auto news, event coverage, and expert industry insight. Now, here are your hosts, Matt Avery and John Craman. Hey, and welcome to another On The Move. We're so glad you've joined us. My name is Matt Avery. I'm executive producer of The Transmission. And joining me is co-host John Craman, lead TV commentator for Mecham Auctions on NBCSN. John, today we are taking a Florida field trip down to one of my favorite car collections, the American Muscle Car Museum in Melbourne, Florida. We're going to talk with Ed Dedick, operations and restorations manager for the facility, and he's going to give us a behind-the-scenes look at how he and his team go about keeping those cars not only looking their best, but also running their best. And then in segment three, we're going to hear about your road to C8 Corvette ownership. You've been able to acquire one of the hottest cars out there. It's been quite a journey these last 18 months, and we've talked about it briefly on the show before, but today we're doing a deep dive into how that Corvette that's sitting in your garage came about. Sounds good. I look forward to doing a little recap with everybody to kind of bring everybody up to speed from time to time on the podcast and other um, other um, uh, outlets, um, I've had a chance to mention it, and ho- hopefully people will enjoy hearing 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 about that journey <laughs> now that it's complete. Yeah, um, yay! <laughs> now, John, we are the Meekum team is coming off of twelve days of hot Florida auction action. Man, what incredible two events! both at Kissimmee and then Muscle Car City in Punta Gorda. John, give us an overview, a flyover. What are some of the highlights from those two events? Well, and that's, yeah, and that's exactly what we're going to do, Matt, because all of the details, all the specifics, the press release and all the data, still in the process of being compiled. But here's what we know so far. And this is combining both at Mecham Kissimmee and the Muscle Car City Auction, Punta Gorda. Biggest January in Mecham history. We did almost $120 million in sales wow. at Kissimmee, new Mecham record of all time, and uh, almost $20 million in sales at Muscle Car City, totaling about $140 million. We had two of the biggest days in Mecham history back-to-back. That would have been January 15th, Friday, and then the following day, Saturday, both around $30 million in sales each day. And maybe the most astonishing thing, Matt, that I think really indicates just how strong the collector car market is and how well Mecham is working that is, is the sell rate is going to come in at somewhere in the 90% or higher range, another all-time record, I'm sure. Wow, truly amazing. Now, John, let's dive into some of the highlights, the top five sellers from both of those events. Of course, number one at Kissimmee 2021, the shot heard heard around the world (laughs) as we charge into this new year. Carol Shelby's personal 427 Cobra Roadster selling for $5.94 million. John, obviously a vehicle like this has extreme historical significance and that price reflected the value that it has for collectors. Now, when you take a step back, what does this sale tell you about the year ahead for car collecting? Well, that's a good point, a good question, Matt, because really, historically, Mecham Kissimmee, which is the world's largest collector car auction, sets the stage for what people can expect during the remainder of the year, in this particular case, of course, 2021. And from all measure, all indicators, any parameters that you want to look at and study, and it's being done right now by the Automotive Press, by the way, uh, indicates that not only is the market strong, it may be stronger than it ever has been. And I think really that Shelby Cobra that Carol Shelby owned from 
1965 till its passing in 2012 is probably the best indicator. Here's why. The reserve came off spirited bidding all over the place on the telephone, internet, bidders in the house. The reserve came off at $4 million and eventually it hammered for $5.4 million with the final price, including fees, $5.94 million just absolutely blew away all of the expectations. Now, is the car worth it? Absolutely. It is not unprecedented for Carroll Shelby-owned cars to just bring really high, crazy money. And as, as expensive as we think it is today, hey, in 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years from now, who knows what that thing is going to be worth. But that is going to go down in history as being one of the most intense uh, Meekum sales of all time. It's going to be a long time before we top that one. <laughs> John, what were some of the other top sellers at Kissimmee this year? Well, everything, Matt, that's in the top five um, brought well north of a million dollars. If we go down the number five spot, and this is a nice mix and a good variety, was a gorgeous 66 Ferrari 275 GTS, a lot number F-164, uh, brought one point three four seven. Point five. That's right, $1,347,500. And um, uh, no surprise that in the number four spot was another real Shelby Cobra, 427 Roadster. Uh, that one hammered for or, or sold for $1.375 million. Um, and the number three spot, also no surprise at all, one of the most anticipated cars, 56 Mercedes-Benz, 300 SL Gullwing, uh, a well-known car, $1.567 million. And then the number two spot, maybe my favorite car at the whole auction, the very first L88 Corvette, the black 67 L88 Roadster, $2.5 million. At once again, uh, the top five, all fetching north of $1 million. So if you look at the success of Mecham Kissimmee and you say, well, it's all because of the Shelby Cobra, if you even take that out of the loop, you back that out of the total sales, it is still a record auction by a long shot. Indication, going to be a strong 2021. Yeah, I agree. Now, as we turn our attention to the success of Rick Torgy's Muscle Car City auction, John, just wrapping up last week, another strong event with all kinds of vehicles bringing top dollars. It's funny because Corvettes are also a theme in the top five, but one of the things that you and I have talked about is that they're actually more of a resto mod feel with the number one seller from that event being a 1963 Corvette resto mod built by Jeff Hayes, a really stunning car, one yeah. that you and I got a really close look at during our visit there it brought a very strong three hundred and sixty eight thousand five hundred dollars john what are your thoughts on this one being the top seller i think what that indicates is that resto mods continue to be very very strong obviously out of 200 great world-class investment grade cars matt for a resto mod although it is high in Restomod, to be the number one seller, I think really indicates exactly where the market is going. And that was not the only Restomod uh, in, in the top five there. In fact, of the top five, you're ready for this, four were Restomods. Only one, wow. only one, we'll talk about that here in a moment, was a what can be 
considered to be an investment grade car, not a high quality driver like typically resto mods are. And that car, that number two selling car, I want to hear you kind of break that one down. There's a little little fun connection in the Copa world with that one. Well, full disclosure, of the top sellers, the one that I was paying the closest attention to was indeed this 1969 Copo Camaro that sold for a very strong $297,000. Now, there's a couple factors that went into that, starting with the simple fact that this is indeed a Copo Camaro, meaning that it was processed through Chevrolet Central Office and as such came equipped with an L72 iron block 427 cubic inch V8. So that alone is going to have it be ultra desirable to collectors, but this one goes one step further and has a known dealership history being sold new at Berger Chevrolet in Grand Rapids, Michigan. They were moving a ton of high performance inventory back in the day, but what's so fascinating is that they are still in business today and on a future on the move we're going to talk with Matt Berger about that family legacy so here this car had all kinds of paperwork showing that history being sold at that iconic dealership it had all the right ingredients to bring top dollar and that's exactly what played out well and we typically see a pretty fair amount of the 69 Copo Copo Camaro Matt uh, and I don't know, kind of a general price range. We see them go from $125,000, $130,000 on up to maybe $175,000. Condition is everything on these cars. And for this particular car, Cortez Silver, by the way, with a four-speed, to fetch that kind of money, basically double what we normally would expect, gives a tip of the hat to uh, all the folks there at Muscle Car City for not only seeking out the best of the best, but preserving them over a long period of time, building up all that excitement all these years. And man, it sure paid it sure paid off for owner Rick. Now, John, before we turn our focus away from these Florida events, as a recap, any final thoughts or observations? I'm going to go back and hit on uh, Resto Mods, Matt, because that market just continues to be more and more popular. Quality continues to go up. The aftermarket getting on board more and more all the time with easy ways to really bring these vehicles up to cutting edge standards. And we saw that both at Kissimmee and we saw it both at Muscle Car City. And we're not just talking Chevrolets and Corvettes. We are talking Mopars. We're talking Fords. We're talking Broncos, um, Chevy pickups and Blazers and 4x4s. Everything that's been treated to a high-end resto mod flavor is just continues to escalate in prices and i think we're going to see more and more of those all the time now let's switch over to you we spent a lot of time down there in florida there was a lot going on what was uh what are your thoughts about what you saw that kind of sticks out in your mind big takeaway this year was just the reminder of these happy coincidences that happen at our events Case in point, between Kissimmee and Rick Torgy's collection, there was a trio of 1965 Chevelles equipped with RPO Z16. These are very rare muscle cars, and to see one of them is unique, and here we had three of them. And then on top of that, all three were painted in the same color, crocus yellow. So, like I said, just looking for those little magical moments that make attending a Meekum event so special. Well, with only 201 built, that's, you know, and who knows how many uh, still survived to this day. But that was very impressive. And the fact they were all the same color. By the way, the top seller was the Muscle Car City entry. It sold. You ready for this? $187,000. Meekum Auctions is proud to bring you On the Move with Matt Avery and John Craman. For more on the world of collector cars, head over to Meekum.com. Now let's get back to the show. 
John and I are at the American Muscle Car Museum in Melbourne, Florida. It's the collection belonging to Mark Pylock, and today it houses 347 vehicles and two motorcycles. Highlights include one of the largest collections of Yanko Camaros, Indy Pace Cars, and Porsche vehicles, which does include tractors. It's all situated on 42 acres, powered by solar, all kinds of cool tech. And joining us now is Ed Dedick, Operations and Restoration manager for the facility ed grew up in nebraska right next to a corvette restoration shop he would go on to open up and run his own called e3 restorations which he sold in 2011 prior to joining the museum's team ed we really appreciate you having us out and taking some time to fill us in on some of the behind the scenes activity here at the museum well first off welcome john matt you know, welcome to the American Muscle Car Museum Thank and welcome you. to Florida. Thank you it's, very much. It's been a pleasure to have you guys actually come on site. I know, Matt, you've been here many times as far as photography, following up your, you know, the book projects you have. So it's been outstanding to have you guys. And it's been a real honor to have you come in and share Mark's collection. Man, I'll tell you, um, coming into the facility, Ed, I had high expectations. Matt had told me a lot about it. I've seen some pictures. Of course, we've known uh, Mark. He's a, a familiar face at Mecham Auctions. But I just have to say, it has this uh, collection, not only the quality, but just the overall personality of this place just is unbelievable over the top. Very safe to say this is one of the finest car collections on the planet. Let's talk about... Um, really sort of what the theme of the inventory is um, as you and Mark work together to try to figure out to sort of fill holes in the collection. What are the priorities out there on the uh, show floor? What he really likes to see is original low mile cars uh, backed up with documentations, very well done. There's a provenance to them, uh, very unique, limited production, you know, maybe a one of one car. And something like that we can talk about, say, like the 1965 uh, Ford Mustang Shelby GT350R prototype. Extremely okay. rare car. You know, the only one left, to, as far as anybody knows, in existence. And you can go from there to like a 2001 GMG 427 Camaro. Mm. You know, very rare car in itself there. So the collection spans a, a lot of eras from 1955 to the present. You know, and it shows his passion, what he grew up on. Uh, ultimately, I mean... It's Mark's place. He has a say so in it, <laughs> right? You know, but if, he's very nice. Where he gives us a lot of input and a lot of freedom to help take care of the collection and, and give us our thoughts. Taking a walk through, uh, very heavy on fifties cars. By the time we get into the early nineteen sixties, we get into more of the performance full size cars, but very very strong on the high performance cars, muscle cars, Camaros, Corvettes going in to the nineteen sixties. Now we've talked about almost three hundred and fifty vehicles here, three hundred and forty eight cars. How many of those would you consider to be low mileage original cars versus the rest restored cars? This is something the collection really prides itself on. And, uh, you know, Mark has done a fantastic job of finding these cars. The museum has, you know, the collection of over 125 cars with less than 100 original miles on them. And what I mean by that is that's not a restored car that had the odometer turned back. That's the car with, <laughs> right. that has, you know, this is the original miles on this car. There's also a large group of Porsche vehicles here. Ed, tell us, how did Mark's love for that brand come about? Mark had the privilege of spending his senior year in high school as an exchange student in Germany. Uh, some of the people in the neighborhood, matter of fact, one of them had a 72 911 and would take him for rides on that on the Autobahn. Fun. You know, and he could see uh, his experience where what he got to see is these are not a cars with a lot of power that would do a burnout like a 69 427 Camaro. 
But he noticed these cars handled extremely well, braked extremely well, you know, and just well-built cars. So he came away from a, with a passion for the German-built cars. So how many Porsches are actually currently in the collection? We have just shy of 50 Porsches. Okay. And ironically, we have nine Porsche tractors in the collection, which makes it <laughs> one of the largest restored, correctly restored Porsche tractors in the world. Wow. In addition to those, and also a large group of 911s, there's quite a few Porsche supercars here. Ed, what are some of the highlights? That's something that is really a staple of the collection. We have a 2005 Carrera GT. We have a 918 Spider with less than 100 original miles on it. I believe that has 32 original miles on that car. And back in the shop, which you guys didn't get to see, we have a 959. Oh, my. Wow. One of the other crown jewels is Mark's collection of Ford GT and GT40 race cars. Ed, tell us, how did his fascination with those cars come about? That is just a love because Mark is from a Ford family there. And you see one of his favorite cars to drive is the 2006 Heritage GT car. He loves it. He fits very well. And if you've seen Mark, he's 6'5", 6'6", plus. Big guy, yeah. yeah. Tall guy. Um, <laughs> so as you walk into the front door of the museum, you see a circle of cars immediately. 2005, 2006, Ford GTs one of every production color. And of that car, <laughs> the lowest mile one is the Quicksilver color with five original miles. And as we come around the circle, we come to the black Mark II car. And that actually has 348 original miles. In the center of that is his brand new 2019 Ford GT. That's a one-off color that actually Edsel Ford II ha- help us get that color. And that is done in a Bentley gold. Uh, and to finish off the Ford GT, we have the 1966 continuation where they built 10 of them and we have number eight. And to be clear, one of each of all the colors, that'd be a total of eight colors plus the sole 2019 in this incredible shade of kind of a burnt orange metallic uh, that is absolutely striking. And it's it's this collection of cars that greets you when you first walk in the main entrance. And it's uh, it, to say it's impressive, that's an understatement. And this is where we start the fundraisers. We start the tours is right at the front entrance. And as you can see, even walking around the, the front part of the museum here, I mean, there is a original 1966 427 Cobra. Right next to that is a 1970 Grabber Blue 429 Boss Mustang. You come across to the other side, there's the 1965 prototype 350R Mustang. You know, so it's heavy in the Ford in the front room, obviously. And along with that, we have a lot of memorabilia. We have over 35 restored original gas pumps. Um, we have the large boat motor collection, which that stands from 1915 to 1956, and along that with the balloon tire bicycle collection. So there's a lot of memorabilia along the sides, as you see also some of the kiddie rides that you'll see throughout the museum. You mentioned uh, some of the events that are held here, and we're going to get into that in just a moment, but I'm going to kind of throw you a little bit of a curveball. I know you're a Corvette guy, but I think you like all kinds of cars. If you had to pick one of your personal favorites out of this group, what would it be? It would be the 1969 uh, Yanko Camaro in Le Mans Blue. Oh, yeah. I had a 1969 Camaro out of high school, so that's one of my favorites. Cool. Let's take a moment to talk about the actual grounds here. We're situated on 42 acres. It's a world-class facility, state-of-the-art. Ed, walk us through some of the thought that went into the design when planning and building the museum. Uh, Mark's vision or plan, I mean, was very, very well thought out. I mean, as you can see, coming into the gate, you have all the, the solar panels, so that in self, it's self-sufficient. It's very well laid out as far as coming into the doors. It's very well laid out for having a, a large event, so where there's plenty of parking. Uh, some of the things we have on the ground is we have Porsche autocrosses. We have some of the Corvette autocrosses, some of the local clubs that do that. You know, in the car shows, we have, you know, 
we have plenty of room. We've had up to 600 cars at a car show for some of the AACA car shows. The building is done with the most state-of-the-art and modern products you could have and has withstand hurricane winds. Good, good. You know, That's good to hear. Well, we have, you know, <laughs> we have impact glass across the front. Okay. Uh, the last, uh, when we were meeting with the engineers, I believe it is rated for 200 miles an hour. Wow. Now, Ed, something we haven't even scratched the surface of is all of the work that goes into maintaining the car collection. You oversee the staff of folks that are responsible for that. Can you give us an idea of some of the steps that you guys take in order to not only have these cars looking their best, but running their best? That is a loaded question, Matt. I'm going to try starting <laughs> from the beginning of that. Um, I don't want to take credit for that completely because there's a team of us. There's okay. a team of us. Jerry Fry, uh, Todd McCarty, and then myself are all in the shop doing the work on the cars. We also have Andrew Mackey who handles all the event coordinating, the photos, the videos, and just whatever we might need. And believe it or not, as you can imagine, with 42 grounds, do you like taking care of your yard? We have one guy that full-time, <laughs> that's his job, just to take care of this place. And as you can imagine, with Florida, stuff is growing year-round. It's not just a season. So he's constantly busy. But as we come back and take care of the cars, we have it broken down into two stages. And what I mean by that is we have a, a major maintenance and we have a minor maintenance. Okay. Um, and a lot of the new cars that come in, I mean, granted, they're brand new, so we also have a new check-in sheet on that. Um, as we bring the cars in, the cars are inventoried. We make sure something as simple as that. We have two sets of keys. And another thing to think of as, as you take care of the cars, what kind of a building do you put them on? I mean, we, this car, this building is brand new, obviously. Um, we bring them in. I mean, it is well sealed. It is climate controlled. It is insect controlled. And what I mean by that is once a month we insect spray. We actually have insect traps around. Good. Uh, as you may think, we have mice up north. Well, here we have lizards we got to take <laughs> care of and watch out for. Yeah. Um, but as the cars come in, they are gone through and, uh, the major check is where we do change all the fluids, you know, in a sense, we will flush the brake system. We will drain the tank and fill it with fresh fuel. Um, and we have Evans coolant in all the cars that are 2010 and back Evans coolant has done, you know, we have a zero problems with that and all the cars we have converted over. Uh, the other thing we use is Sunoco fuel and cars 83 and back in a sense, do not have a Cadillac converter somewhere in that area. Some manufacturers are different but we run 110 Sunoco fuel with stable additive. And then the ones that are newer than that, we run 93 Sunoco fuel, non-ethanol with stable additive in that. Um, the other thing that we have as far as challenge is for batteries. Yes. Uh, and this is personal preference. Mark wants to have all the cars in running and driving order with minimum effort. All the cars here on CTEC tenders. And then once a month, we just check the tenders. And uh, I mean, that's a lot of tenders. You can imagine that with 347 cars. Um, as they come into the maintenance shop, I mean, each guy has his strong or a skill set. Uh, Jerry, pick on him a little bit here. He's actually going to be 76 in February. So <laughs> okay. his strong point is in the 50s and 60s cars where the fuel injection of the day, you know, wasn't exactly up to modern. And also the carburetors. He's very sharp on that. Uh, Todd McCarty, he would be a little bit of the newer cars, say like the 80, newer cars that might not sound right, but the 80s and 90s yeah. and 2000s. He's very sharp in that area. That's his strong set. Uh, my strong set from being, you know, in the collision repair for a little while and then having my own restoration shop would be the body, the pain and the detailing and overseeing and making sure everything's going the right way. Well, certainly with this many cars, uh, taking care of them. And I know that that's a priority is to make sure that these cars are very well cared for and where very well preserved. And you've hit on some of the key items, the, uh, the, uh, Evans coolant that you use, keep the batteries charged up, uh, the fuel you talked about, but what about any type of a schedule for starting operating, driving them a little bit? 
you have any program like that in place? We have a program in place and we run this off as this is run like a business. I mean, Mark is very business minded, very intelligent. The cars all have an inventory one up to number 349 correctly. Excuse me, currently, not correctly. Um, <laughs> and we can bring the cars in and they're done at least once a year they're gone through. And uh, once every five years, they receive the major, in a sense, we call it major maintenance. Okay. And in between, say, year two, three, and four, they receive a minor maintenance or a one-page checklist. And the one page just may be, hey, we're just, you know, checking for leaks, checking the fuel. Does it still start and run? The major one in where we bring it in and we're doing a lot more, as we talked about previously, is the Evans coolant. You know, we may be checking over the brakes. We may be going through the brakes. The older cars is where we really have the challenges in right now. Because in a sense, as you know, you can get in the 50s cars and all of a sudden the brakes are not working or this isn't working. The newer cars, we don't have that too. Um, But there still is some maintenance in the newer cars. I mean, everyone thinks, hey, it's a brand new car. No, we still need to go through it. We still need to check it out, uh, keep fresh fuel in it. You know, and there's some of them that we have actually recalls that we have uh, on our newer Mustangs 2007 above. We had a lot of the airbag recalls we had to go through. Yep. Uh, and we had some of the tailgates on the Shelby trucks that were acting up. We actually had the tech from Kelly Ford right here in Melbourne. He come out and he spent a couple of days and did all the recalls. And so in a sense, we keep everything up to speed and up to where it's supposed to be. When we came in, uh, you showed us a 68 Corvette 427 that you were doing an engine compartment detail on. And it looks like it's just about done. And the quality is phenomenal, by the way. It looks unbelievably great. Do you guys get involved in restorations or are you limiting the amount of major projects that you do? We limit the amount of major projects just because we don't have time to to go all through that. And what I mean by that is all three of us have a very strong restoration background. But say if we have an engine compartment that comes in and it's like, it's not quite up to snuff, you know, the Corvette you mentioned that Jerry is doing right yeah. now, it just wasn't there. Pull the motor out, paint it, correct platings, correct bolts, you know, correct belts and hoses. It just makes it up to 100%. And that's probably about as major as where we're going to get to. Besides for his love of cars and collecting, Mark also has a really big heart for giving back. And a lot of charity work happens here at the museum. Ed, can you give us an idea of just some of those activities that are taking place? We are definitely kept busy. There's no two ways around that. Uh, in a sense, the mission statement for the museum, the very first thing is we're here for fundraising for charities in Brevard County. Uh, we do that on an interview basis. And since we've been opened up in uh, 2016, he has raised over $4 million of the state right here in Brevard County. Wow. Uh, most of the time, we are busy over 100 days out of the year, and we are not open to the public. And I need to clarify that, yes. where in a sense, someone can't just pull up. But we are open to the public like a baseball stadium. If we have an event going on, you can buy a ticket, you can support the charity and come on in. Uh, the other thing we also open is the autocrosses, the auto shows, in a sense, we have outside uh, the car clubs that come on tours. If we schedule that ahead of time, we can have a car club come through and they will usually do it for the local charity. Uh, the third thing is, is educational for kids from first grade all the way up to college age. Um, and it's always interesting when we get the in a sense, the school tours in, we always have the highest amount of dads come on the field trip. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of a very quick overview on it. And, you know, he tries to give a lot back. He doesn't have to. I mean, he does. He supports the community very strongly. Uh, like the local vendors we have, we try to support them any week way we can. One thing we were talking about I want you to expand on for our listeners, and that is uh, both you and Mark have got a real soft spot for 
military and their immediate family. What do you do for them to uh, let them have a chance to come in and take a look? As a way to thank our veterans for the freedoms and rights we have, Mark hosts his largest event of the year, and that's a Veterans Day open house for, for veterans and their families. They can come in, they can tour the museum. We have a, you know from like one to five on that particular day. And then we have over $50,000 in giveaway prizes. Uh, matter oh, of fact, nice. we've actually had a Porsche of Melbourne, which gave us a car to give away one year to one of the recipients. But no, we've been very well supported on that. And it, it, they really appreciate it as they come in. And we also try to break it down where we have, you know, a gift area for World War II, a gift area for, you know, Korean okay. War vets, Vietnam, other wars, and so forth. And it's very well attended. And it's probably, you know, here again, it's one of our largest attended events. Now, looking out to the rest of 2021, anything on the horizon for the museum or the car collection? You know, we always try to get better. We always try to improve in what we do on here. And that's something, you know, supporting the charities as much as we can going forward. Obviously, we got to get through the COVID. Uh, as right now, we are not having anything going on at the museum, but we'd really like to get back to sharing it with the younger kids, getting the younger generation involved, because they're the future of the hobby. Right on. Uh, and we also try to, like the high schools, just for one example, we have Satellite High School with Randy that has the mechanics program. We try to support them any way we can coming through. So really to support that next generation and any way we can improve that is probably the f- first and forefront. Well, I think it goes to say that uh, this is a... Uh, this is a facility and a collection that any car person should attend, and it is possible for them to do that. Your charity events are open for the public. They can buy a ticket. They can come in and be a part of that with all of the funds going to support a charity. What's the best way for folks to keep an eye on what's happening at the American Muscle Car Museum? The best thing you can do is if you visit our website, which is AmericanMuscleCarMuseum.com, there is an event page there. And that'll show any of the charities coming up, any of the fundraising coming up, and actually any of the events coming up as far as the autocross or any tours we may be having. Um, And that's the best way. Cool. Well, on behalf of John and I, Ed, we just want to say thanks. We really appreciate the time today. This is by far one of my favorite car collections to be at. It is always a treat to see what you guys have going on, and we certainly can't wait to come back soon. Matt, John, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Ed. Don't adjust that dial. On the Move, we'll be right back. Our program is proudly presented by Meekum Auctions, the world's largest collector car auctions. Now back to Matt and John. One of the hottest cars out there is Chevrolet C8 Corvette, and one of the most excited and proud owners I know is right here. John, you have recently taken delivery of your new 2020 Elkhart Late Blue Metallic Corvette. You've had the chance to put some miles on it. You've got some thoughts, and we've talked about this journey because it has been a journey. It's been over a year for this process to, to get where we are today, where you actually have the car in your garage. So let's dive deeper, starting with where did your love for Corvettes come from and what have been some of the other ones that you've owned over the years? Well, it would go all the way back to the early 1960s. I was a little kid and I saw my first Stingray. It would have been a 63 Corvette coupe, split window coupe. It was saddle tan with a, with a saddle leather interior. How I remember that, I can't explain that. But it left an indelible mark. And I, that, I told myself at that time, Matt, that when I grew up, uh, I, I would own one of those cars. And I was fortunate as a youngster to have built a lot of model cars and kind of got the ball rolling that way, but didn't own my very first Corvette until 2011 when I bought uh, a year-old 2010 C6 Corvette, played silver, LS3 six-speed, uh, with only 4,000 miles on it. It took me a long time to actually 
actually end up with a Corvette. And immediately after I got that, I thought, why did it take so long for me to get into, get into a Corvette? I mean, um, all the things that you go through in life, and I'm sure our listeners can all relate to it, raising kids, uh, you know, getting established in a uh, vocation and getting bills paid finally pays off at some point. That hard work pays off, and, and now it's time to start enjoying some cars. So that was my first transition to Corvette ownership. Now, how did you first hear of the C8? Well, like everybody, paying attention to all the news that had been going on, going on for many years. In fact, the first mid-engine concept uh, for, about the Corvette dates all the way back to 1960, with an experimental car called the Serve One. It was not really a street car, but uh, Zora Ark is Duntoff, sort of the godfather of the Corvette. He didn't design it, but he's the guy that moved it up quite a few notches starting in the 1950s. He was convinced and spent his whole life trying to uh, position the Corvette into the mid-engine. Unfortunately, of course, he's been retired many years, and he's, of course, passed away now. But... uh, now that there is a, a mid-engine, an actual production mid-engine C8 Corvette, um, they've actually, starting with the serial number sequences, 11,000 higher, they put a little, as a tribute to Zor, they put a little profile of his. They've etched it onto the windshield glass down low, referred to as an Easter egg, on the passenger side of the windshield down low. That's a real cool little thing. I've looked at that, oh, probably a dozen different times and never fails to put a smile on my face, seeing that little bit of his spirit riding with me. <laughs> now, you and Katie Osborne actually got to attend a special media event. What did you guys see there? Well, and that's what kicked it in the high gear, Matt. There was the anticipation of the reveal, which, of course, was July of 2019 out in Tustin, California. And Katie Osborne and I were both invited to actually attend that press event. And it was very exciting and very well done, but it really was all about the car. And I have to tell you, there were four different ones there. Uh, there was a ceramic matrix gray, there was a uh, torch red, there was a black one, and there was a Zeus bronze. Oh, actually, there was a fifth. There was an Elkhart Lake Blue. There were five. And the car, I was smitten by it. And I thought to myself, wow, um, she, I'd sure like to have one of these. Because who hasn't lusted? What car guy hasn't lusted for a European exotic Ferrari, Lamborghini, uh, vintage Maserati, etc.? But for whatever the reason, cost typically uh, has just decided that's not a practical way to go. So the blend of, of, of that personality with the affordability, relative affordability of a Corvette is what really makes that car special. And I saw it right away and I decided this is something I'm going to pursue. Unfortunately, I waited a month. I actually ordered my car a month later in August of 2019 after spending countless hours on the Chevrolet.com website, looking at the configurator, looking at all the options and colors, all of the variables that you can take. It's a very easy-to-use configurator. And once I came up with that specific configuration that I decided I wanted, it was time to start searching for a dealer. And how did you go about doing that? Do you work with a local dealer here in the Midwest, or was there a particular one that you sought out? Well, my local dealer said that they were basically sold out for two years. They had a relatively small allocation. So due to the online sources, a Corvette blogger um, is a really good one. Mid-Engine Corvette Forum is another good one. They actually had a list of the large top 10 Corvette dealers that had huge allocation numbers. 
and even better, Matt, that had pledged that they would be selling the cars at MSRP, at window sticker, without additional dealer markup. As we know, a lot of dealers still selling them today are marking these cars up over window sticker. They're allowed to do that, but I really wanted to get on board with a nationally known dealer that was a Corvette specialist that was not going to charge me over window sticker. And I landed uh, with the folks out in the Detroit area, uh, Matic Chevrolet, Alan Johnson was my sales rep, could not have been happier with his enthusiasm and understanding for my excitement about this car. And after placing the order and waiting 16 months, it was built December 4th of 2020. A couple of weeks later, Mecham Transport delivered it to my garage door from the dealership over in Detroit. And I've had a chance to put about 190 miles on the car so far. It's tucked away as the snow is flying out here in the Midwest. Now, John, give us some insight. How did you go about selecting the particular options that your car came equipped with? Well, first of all, Matt, the base price of the Corvette, $59,995. Well, that's an almost unbelievable bargain for for the American supercar, mid-engine supercar, the first one. Um, so... It, I wanted to take advantage of that. I wanted to see if I could spec a car out with a combination of color and equipment that would that would represent the sort of value that I was hoping for. It's not that I'm a cheapskate, but I really like to I really like to look at all the variables. What do I need on this car and what do I not need? What can I live without without regretting it down the road because this car is a keeper? And I landed on a 1LT coupe. Now that's the base coupe with the standard equipment there's a two and a three lt package which add a lot of goodies heated and cooled seats uh heads up displays um performance data recorders um a lot of extra safety features in regards to uh some different alerts and a rear camera that actually shows up through the rearview mirror a lot of things many many things upgraded interior but I selected on a 1LT with only three options, the performance exhaust, which bumps the power from 490 horsepower to 495 red calipers to pop against that Elkhart Lake blue metallic, and chrome badges. There's three badges on the car that are carbon flash, kind of a charcoal, and they do make for its only $100 option. And that just adds a little bit of sort of that vintage Corvette panache. It's very, very subtle. So the sticker price on my car, 61 885 it is the lightest it is the fastest configuration that you can get in a corvette people say well what about the z51 five thousand dollar option the performance package actually reduces the street performance slightly and gives a lot of a benefit to track handling with the aero devices which add a lot of downforce but also slow the top speed i'll give you some numbers uh my particular spec car 194 hour miles per hour top speed 194 versus 184 miles per hour for the z51 quarter mile time similar difference Uh, 122 miles an hour for the z51 performance package versus 124 miles per hour two mile per hour faster than a quarter mile for the standard car and the main reason for that is is a lack of the drag on the on the aero devices now if you're going to autocross you're going to go do track days get the z51 it's great value for that if you just want a high performance street car with the bragging rights of having the fastest stingray spec that you can get and you want to take advantage of that value pricing don't hesitate to you know spec one out like i did now it's clear john that you are passionate about the car you're keeping it you're not going to let it go but interesting that we continue to see 
the success of these cars when they come to Mecham Auctions. We saw them all fall, and then we continue to see them in the last two Florida auctions, including with most recently, Rick Chorgi's had a one of those Z51s that you were talking about yep. that sold for a very strong $121,000. Do you expect that trend to continue as we move further out into spring? Will this Corvette C8 craze ever cool off? That's a good question, Matt. Nobody knows that yet, but we do know right now that Mecham, since July, we've sold about a dozen or so C8 Corvettes, and they've all brought between twenty dollars and $30,000 over window sticker. Might you think that might be extreme? Well, think about it for a minute. Let's say that you want one today. I waited 16 months for my car. If you want one today, that instant gratification, and you can afford it, and supply versus demand being what it is, Right now, as of early 2021, we know that they bring a premium over window sticker. We know that. There were about 40,000 Corvettes scheduled to be built during the debut year of 2020. They ended up actually building, give you the exact number, 20,368. So about half of the scheduled production uh, was built during the unusual year that we all experienced in 2020. In 2021, production's on board right now. They've already delivered quite a few of them. They are now hoping to build 40,000 during the second model year of the all-new mid-engine C8. So whether or not we see the prices over sticker at Mecham Auctions begin to settle, we don't know yet. But for those folks that want to go out and they want to enjoy this incredible driving automobile, um, it's not necessarily a bad way to go. Come to Mecham Auction and pick one up. In a lot of ways, I wish I'd have maybe done that. But keep in mind, it was July of 2020 when we actually sold the first one at our Indianapolis auction. So if I look at July to December, I really didn't have too much of a long wait between there. And I saved a lot of money as well. Now, John, you've taken delivery of the car. I know you're ecstatic. Tell me about the miles so far and the thoughts so far on the car. You know, Matt, uh, everybody that I talked to that had had one, uh, including Ken Langenfelter, uh, famed uh, a, a speed expert um, who's got a lot of miles on his, I think around 6,000 miles, had told me, not only are you going to love this car, but you're not going to miss the lack of the traditional six-speed or seven-speed manual transmission. And I had a hard time um, kind of wrapping my head around that because I'm a stick shift guy. But it's a dual clutch. It's an eight-speed dual clutch. It's a joint cooperation between uh, Tremec and GM designed specifically for this car. And he was right. You do not miss the traditional transmission. Here's why. Uh, Automatic transmissions have a torque converter. uh, We know that. And uh, there's a little bit of a dynamic in the way the transmission shifts and the way that it feels coming off idle. But with the dual clutch transmission, it is literally a manual transmission that just happens to, to operate automatically with two separate clutches. So the first thing you notice, you put it in gear and you don't feel it. You don't feel the engine pull up against a torque converter. You've, it's, it's like you've got the clutch in, you shift into first gear, nothing's happened yet. It's like, oh, this is odd. So, so you lose that sensation. But as soon as your foot comes off the brake, you feel it start to engage as smooth and as silky as you can imagine. The shifts are positive and they're instantaneous. And if you go into the manual mode and use the paddle shifters, unlike a traditional automatic with paddle shifters, this is instantaneous. They've got those paddle shifters going right from the levers on the steering wheel directly to the transmission itself. So that's the first thing that you notice, but the ride quality, the quietness, the refinement, the view over the front, the peak fenders, the exquisite 
interior with that wraparound dashboard is unbelievable. The seats are super comfortable. They put a lot of work and a lot of effort into this car, and hopefully you and I will have a chance to break down more of the specifics and the sensations of, of the new C8 Corvette when we have a chance to put some more miles on it this spring. You've been listening to Meekham Presents On The Move, brought to you by State Farm. For more information, visit Meekham.com. And join us again next time as we take you inside the world of muscle and collector cars and more.